0: So we are on Jonah, lesson four, week number four of the book of Jonah. Now, before we begin, let's pray for God's blessing upon this, if we would. Father, thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. And we pray your anointing upon this lesson this morning, that everything we say and do is exactly what you want said and done. Let us rightly divide your word of truth and allow our hearts to be changed by what you say what your word tells us and help us to leave knowing we have been lifted up by the word of God in Jesus name amen now I did as I was worshiping on know word I think when I said about the time change that we lose an hour we actually gain an hour because it goes backwards right it goes back and we, we fall back spring forward so we actually gain an hour so there should be no excuse well praise the Lord Everyone, I think, is familiar with the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah. I think even most of the world is familiar with the story of, the we call it the whale, the Bible calls it the great fish, but I think for all practical purposes, I might refer to it as the whale, even though the Bible doesn't specifically say a whale, but I'm going to use that word anyways. Our last three lessons dealt with Jonah's running away from the will of God. And after we discussed all that he lost and his continuing downward spiral away from God, even those around him, those heathen sailors, trusted Jonah's God more than Jonah did. And Jonah was willing to die rather than to do what God asked him to do. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. Now, for Jonah, we're talking about a specific will that God has for Jonah, one specific will. There's also God's general will that's his will for everybody. The Bible says everybody was supposed to do this stuff. So you could be ignoring a specific will, or you can be ignoring one of his general wills. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It means go to be with other Christians. We call that the church. And if we continually miss church, same difference. You're not doing what God calls you to do. That's a general will that everyone is called to. Jonah was called to a specific will. Maybe God's calling you to a specific will that's just for you. And if you run away from that, that's basically the same thing. So the same scenario can be played out for God's specific will for you, fish, whale, or it could be his general will. The more he sees you pulling away from him, whether it's church attendance or reading your Bible, whatever it might be, he's going to do the same thing to get your attention. So there is a God-specific will which God will speak to each one of us individually. And you know, we sang that song, I'll tell you, in the secret, one of my favorite songs, because it, it basically says what I feel. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to I see you. I want to know that what I'm doing is what you want me to do. I would love it for God to speak audibly to me. Anybody getting an audible from God? <laughs> Not, no. I would love it writing on the wall it would be awesome. I would like something in the mail from God. This is what I want you to do, but you know what? The Bible says that's still a small voice. You've got to be quiet and listen to what God's seeing. And I want to hear what God has to say. So, if God's speaking to you and you think God's speaking to you, go in a corner somewhere in your prayer closet and just listen to what God's going to say. Jonah goes from an experience of rebellion and discipline to an experience of repentance and dedication. And God graciously gives him a new start. Now, when we first arrived here, I can't, it's almost 15 years in December that we got here. What was, our, what was our slogan? The Church of New Beginnings, right? Why it was, you know, we were new here, we were new to you, you were new to us, and we were excited to see what God was going to begin to do in Dover Assembly. And the same thing happens when you become a Christian, you become a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone and a new life has begun. And how many are, man, how many are glad for that? That what you used to be is gone. New person. God wipes a slate clean. We spent a lot of time driving yesterday. We had to go back to Pittsburgh again. So hopefully we're done going back to Pittsburgh for a while. But you spend three and a half, four hours on the turnpike just... Mm, You know, you think. And you begin to, all these thoughts come in just to pass the time you're thinking about stuff. And some of the stuff I was thinking about happened before I was a Christian. And I was thinking, man, thank you, Lord, that God delivered me from that. And just all the things that, how my life would have went differently had God not saved me. But the minute that God saved me, just like changed the trajectory of my life. You become a new person. Your thinking changes. And for Jonah, God gave him that second chance. When you come to Christ initially, or even when you stray away from God, as we said last week, God will pursue you to bring you back and give you a new beginning. And how many are glad for that, that God pursues you? You know, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, you weren't looking for God. God was looking for you. God already paid the price, and he's looking for you. And most of us were running. He was looking, we were looking back. He's behind us. We're running away from God. And God still pursued you. Amazing. I'm not sure as a person I would keep pursuing someone. (laughs) After a while, I'd say, okay, I'm done. But God kept pursuing him. God kept trying to get his attention. And God will pursue you and get your attention as well. Now, we left off with the end of chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 says, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now you remember Jonah and God kind of parted company on bad terms. Jonah's fault, 100%. The phrase, when you seem far from God, guess who moved? That would be us. But God didn't let him go. It would have been easy, and I mentioned this last week, find somebody else. Forget Jonah. Amos and Hosea were his contemporaries. They're still there. God could have said, okay, forget him. Amos, Amos and Hosea, I want you to go. But he didn't. He loved Jonah, and he loves each one of us too much to just write us off and move to the next person. Think about that. How often are we, how quick are we to reject someone who rejects us at first, and then move on to the next person? But God doesn't do that. God doesn't reject you and move on. God keeps pursuing you. Now, God will endure rejection for a time while he's in the process of bringing you back. And the thing is, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what it's going to take to get your attention because he sees that in the end. So he knew what was going to get Jonah's attention and he knows what's going to get our attention. And he will keep pursuing you until we come back. So they tossed him overboard, and I'm sure Jonah at this time was thinking, okay, I'm dead. Thrown me in the ocean, I'm a goner. Then he wakes up inside the fish, and he realized that God spared him. And what's the first thing he does? Jonah chapter 2 says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the, prayed to the Lord his God, He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Notice he was on the boat. The crew asked him to pray, but it doesn't record that he did. He just said, Throw me overboard. Now, he may have thought at that moment that he had gone too far from God. I can't go back. I've been running so far. I'm not going back. It's not worth my while to pray. I'm halfway to Tarshish. I blew him off. I went the opposite direction. So I'm not going to pray because God's not listening anyways. Do you ever think that? Maybe you've just done something really dumb and you keep doing it until you get to the point where you know what? God, I've just blown it too much. I'm not going to pray because I know you're not listening anymore. But he gets to the point where he wakes up inside the fish and he realizes, "Whoa, God spared me. I should be dead, but He spared me. So maybe God's listening to me. I'm sure he expected to die when he didn't. He realized that God still cared about him. No matter how far you get away from God, the Bible says God still cares about you. How many of you have adult kids? You still care about them, right? You don't quit being your kids because they turn 30 or 40. You would think that, but they don't. You worry about them anyways. You care about what they're doing. You care about their life. You want them to have a a better life than you. You worry about them. Until you go on, you worry about your kids. God does the same for us. No matter how far we get away from God, God still cares about you. God still wants to bring you back. And God will do anything to get your attention. Hopefully, as Jonah did, he realized, okay, God's still involved somehow. Maybe if I pray, he'll spare me. God is gracious. He rescues us even when we cause the problem ourselves. How many have caused your own problem sometimes? Look at your life and say, well, that that was my, my bad. I shouldn't have done that. And now I'm suffering for it. You know what? God still helps you. And sometimes if we think we caused a problem myself, well, I caused it, so I can't ask God for help since I did it. That's not the attitude to take because God still cares about you even if you caused the problem yourself. And that's when you turn to God just like Jonah did and acknowledge your sin. Now, we've heard the phrase God is the God of second chances, right? God's the second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh chances. Even when we run away from God, God still runs after us. And it was the goodness of God that allowed Jonah to live that caused him to turn back. And the Bible says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. How many are, when you look at how good God has been to you, do you kind of want to ask God to forgive you for the, all the bad things you've done? Right? Man, I I'm not living like Christ today, but God, you've blessed me anyways. Forgive me. Help me to move on. Jonah realized that God was being good to him, even in the face of rejection by Jonah. And his goodness allowed God, allowed him to come back to God. You know, a lot of times we pray, and we've even mentioned it, Lord, whatever it takes to get someone's attention to get them saved. And that it could be goodness. It, God could pour their blessing on someone. The goodness of God is poured upon their life and they realize that only God gave them that blessing. And maybe that brings them to repentance. It doesn't always have to be something negative. So we pray God's blessing on people. Maybe God wants to bless them in order to get their attention. Look how good God's been to me. Romans 2.4 says, Don't you realize how kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin?" Now Jonah could have looked at his life in the fish and thought, not only can't I get a ride out on a boat, I can't even die right. I can't even kill myself right. Ever look at your situation and see your glass half empty? (laughs) Only focusing on the bad things. And it's easy to do that. All these things that God hasn't done for you. Instead of all these things that God has done for you. When, you open, when your kids open Christmas gifts, if you give them too many of them, what happens? They rip one open and go to the next one. Rip one open and go to the next one. Without appreciating the ones they've already opened. And sometimes we're the same way. What's next? What's next? This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And we look at the things that we're missing rather than the things that God has already blessed us with. So Jonah's thinking, you know, he's got a glass half empty kind of guy. But he went beyond that and realized that God had blessed him by sparing him and giving him another chance. Do we always look at the negative? Do we always look at everything that's bad and never look at anything that's good? Sometimes the blessings come in difficult situations. How many have been through a tough time and at the other side of that tough time you realize that God was right in the middle with you? That's the blessing. When you realize, man, I didn't handle this myself. God did it. God was there and God helped me through it. And God did miraculous things in my life because of it. How many times has God spared you from harm and we don't even know it? How many accidents have you avoided without God even knowing it? Now I'm not saying our tribulations in life are easy, but we have a choice as to how to look at them. Jonah Jonah finally realized God's hand was at work in his life. We should focus on the things that God is doing and how he has blessed us and not what God seemingly isn't doing. Look for the good. Philippians 4.8 says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In other words, don't dwell on the negative all the time. How many know people that are glass half empty all the time? It's sunny out, yeah, but it's going to rain. Today was a good day, yeah, but tomorrow's going to be bad. Don't dwell on the negative. Focus on what God has blessed you with, the good things that God's doing in your life. The negative's still going to be there, but you can't focus on it. But even at this point, he didn't pray out of love or affection. He prayed out of need. It says in verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now, another instance of God knowing what it's going to take for Jonah to get his attention. And that's how we pray sometimes for our loved ones. God knows what it will take for each person to come to him. Now, I have this sentence down here and you tell me if it's true or not. I would say most of our prayers are not a purely holy motive for praying. Lord, I need this. I need that. Lord, can you do this for me? As opposed to, Lord, what do you want? Lord, let my life be honoring to you. What do you want from me? As opposed to what do I want from you? We pray because we need God more than we pray just because God tells us to pray. How many of you have friends that you never hear from unless they want something from you? You get a call from somebody you went to high school with or college and you haven't talked to them in 20 years and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're talking, talking, and all of a sudden they ask you for your help. The only reason they're coming to you, really talking to you, is because they need something from you. We don't want our prayer life to be the same thing. We only come to God because we need something from Him. How about we come to Him because we just want to talk to Him? And we love him and we appreciate him and we read his word because we want to know what God says to us. We pray because we need God. God will make you need him to get your attention. Even though he realized that God spared him, he still wasn't happy with God's will. At first he was only praying for God to help him out of the trouble. How many of us pray, Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise I will... Go to church. I promise I'll pray more. I promise I'll give. Lord, if you just deliver this one thing for me, get me out of this this jam I put myself in, then I will really serve you. He still only thought that God's will was something to turn to in times of trouble, not of a way of living your life. It's not God, I'll do your will because I'm in a bad spot. It's God, I want to do your will because you're asking me to do your will. So he's inside the fish and he's thinking to himself, well, maybe I'm going to die in here. And so he's experiencing the same thing that he put the sailors through. They're on the the boat thinking they're going to die. Now Jonah's in the fish thinking he's going to die. And one commentator says this, sometimes for Christians it's good to remember what it's like to be without hope and lost. In other words, remember how it was before you got saved. What was your life like and what was your situation like before you get saved? When you're newly saved, you're excited for the things of God. You don't know much, but man, you're excited about it. Then you become a Christian, you live 10, 15, 20 years as a believer and you lose that excitement. And now you begin to think about all the things that we do. And you mentioned that in your class today. We don't get saved because of what we do, but we do things because we're saved. You see the difference? And sometimes it's easy as you get older to confuse those. You know it's not what you do to get saved, but man, it's what you do to show people that you're saved. And if you're not doing it the way I think you should be doing it, then you're not saved. If you're not doing X, Y, Z in this order and doing it exactly like I tell you you should do it, then you're not really a Christian. We should remember what it's like for other people. Not only what it's like for us at this particular moment, we should never get hard hearts towards sinners and lose lose compassion for them, because we were just like them. It's easy to look down on the world. I saw a meme the other day. It had uh, pictures of Jesus washing the feet of people, and every it was like ten frames. Every frame was a different person. One had the pride flag. One had this, you know, one was Trump and one was Biden and one was this and one was that. and Every aspect, Jesus washing these guys' feet. And sometimes it's easy to get so negative towards sinners and lose compassion for them because we were just like them. Think about what you would be if you weren't a believer. Jonah still had that attitude towards the people in Nineveh. So Jonah's in the water and now he's in the fish and he's getting to understand a little bit what it means to be without hope and lost. God wanted him to know how it was for the Ninevites. They were lost and without hope. Now, they didn't know that, but they were. How many people do we see in the public eye today that we just really don't like? They're lost and without hope. Because if they die today, they're going to go to hell. We need to understand that people who we may not particularly care about what they think or what they do, they are blinded. They don't. The Bible says the enemy has blinded their eyes; so they can't understand the truth. So they're blinded, and we need to pray that God removes the blindness from their eyes. Verse one. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Verse 2 says, from the depths of the grave, I call for help and you listen to my cry. Notice he didn't wait to try and fix it himself and he didn't wait to get to a certain point. You know, maybe I can, you know, I can open this fish's mouth and get out of here. He prayed right away. How many of us try to fix something first before we pray? (laughs) I'll do everything I can. I'll try and fix this and fix that and fix that and then if none of it works, okay, then I'll pray. How about we pray first? God, help me to fix this situation. Show me what I need to do and show me what you need to do. He cried out to God exactly where he was. There was no place or condition or circumstances that it's wrong to call out to God. No matter where you find yourself, never think that you can't cry out to God. Now I'm sure as we said before Jonah thinking well all hope is lost I'm in the fish even though God spared me he's going to let me die in the fish. He still cried out to God. Jonah deliberately put himself in a position because of his defiance and so he has no right to ask God for anything because God's not going to help me now. Don't wait for things to happen or to improve on their own. How many of you try to, you know, if I just let it go, it'll be okay. As you may have noticed, we had a little static up here this morning in worship. Now, if we just let that go, I don't care, I'm not listening to it, it's not going to go away. How many have a circuit breaker in your house and, and it trips? There's a reason that it trips. And you probably need to find out why it's, Tripping. I saw a picture once of a guy who took a breaker and took a wire on it and screwed it to the panel so it wouldn't trip. Okay. There's a reason why it's tripping, and it's not going to go away on its own. Whatever your situation is, it's not going to go away on its own. If I just ignore it, it's not going to go away. Cry out to God. Still call out to God for help like Jonah did. Even though you think it's too far gone. And he prayed for God's help. And now what what does he do? He accepted God's discipline. Verse 3 says, "You, You hurled me into the sea, into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. So he looks at it and he realizes that God's the one pulling the strings here. He sent the storm Even though the sailors threw him over, again, God ordered the sailors to throw him over. When I said earlier God rules and overrules, God does what he wants to do even if we don't want to do it. He'll get it done, either through us or through somebody else. It wasn't the sailor's fault that he was in the water because God was behind it all. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers? Brothers sold him down the river, right? Genesis 50, 20 says... Joseph said, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. People do negative things to you, God can turn it around. Romans 8:28, All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Jonah realized that God was spanking him and he realized that he deserved it. How we respond to discipline determines how much we're going to benefit from him. How many of you have kids that you spank them and they don't care? Hit me harder. And if they don't learn from it, guess what? They're going to do it again. How do they respond to discipline? Hebrews twelve five says, My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. Do not be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes those he accepts as his children. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined? Well, I have. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and not really God's kids at all. Since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, should we not all the more cheerfully submit to the discipline of our heavenly father and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always right and good for us because it means we will share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward there is a great harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. How many of you were spanked by your folks? The older generation raises their hand, younger generation not so much. Spare the rod for the child. It's okay for a swat. You remember those little paddle balls we used to get? We would buy those and break the ball off. That was our paddle. My dad's was this, the belt or hot wheel track, whatever was in reach. And the thing is, he did it for my good. We do it for their good. We want them to know that there's consequences for actions. God disciplines us because he wants us to understand there's consequences for the things you do. And he doesn't want you to do worse things. The fact that God chastened Jonah proved that Jonah was still God's kid. Now we have options when we're disciplined. We can despise it or fight it. Hebrews 12.5 says, My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. We all have kids that ignore your discipline. Or we can be discouraged and faint, it says, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you. It's easy to think that, well, this is woe is me, it's all over. Don't be discouraged, don't give up. God's bringing you around. Don't be discouraged when he corrects you. We can resist it and we can invite harsher discipline and maybe even death. Verse 9 says, how much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? So there's extremes to the way God gets your attention. We can submit to it and grow and mature through it. Verse 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable when it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there's a great harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Just because we choose to rebel for a time doesn't stop making you God's kid and God will pursue you, bring you back. Hopefully, he doesn't have to spank you too hard, but he will increase the punishment until he gets your attention. Next, Jonah now trusted God's promises. Verse 4 says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. the The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought me, my life, up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now you remember in, in the Old Testament, the Bible says if you repent and look toward the temple and repent, I'll forgive you. That's kind of what he was praying here. Notice the progression in his life before this happened. Everything was going downhill. Verse two, chapter 1, verse 3 says, he went down to Joppa. Found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into the ship. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. When you start walking away from God, the only way you're going to go is down. Your life is going to get worse and worse as you go further and further away from God. What saved Jonah. Something God told him just before he left? Nope. Jonah knew his Bible, his Old Testament. What was the promise? Solomon's promise, his dedication. 1 Kings 8 says, And if your people offer a prayer concerning their troubles or sorrow, raising their hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. So he remembered his Old Testament. If you're a Christian and you're walking away from God, God is going to bring their scriptures back to your mind that you learned. And if you're praying for someone who's been in church and now they're not, that's what you pray. The Bible says God's word doesn't return void. It will accomplish its purpose. So even if it's sitting dormant in the back of their mind, God, bring your word to their mind. Bring what they've learned at some point in their life. Bring it to their mind. Put them in a situation where they're going to need that word at that moment. Jonah needed that word at that moment, and God brought it back to him. Jonah two, four says, I have been banished from your sight. I will look again toward your holy temple, just like Solomon's prayer of dedication. Verse 7 says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. God brought that scripture back to him. God will bring back scriptures that you need and God will bring back scriptures that other people were praying for need. If they've ever heard God's word ever in their life, it's there. It does not return void. It may sit dormant for a while. and may be in the back of their mind, never thinking about it. But you pray, God put them in a situation where that word comes back to them. They remember what they've learned. So now Jonah is looking up. He's no longer going down. He stopped his descent and started looking up to where God called him. Now God offers specific promises concerning our lives. How many, know, how many have a God's promise book? How many flip through that trying to find a promise for you? Well, our privilege is to know those promises and then pray them when you're in trouble. And sometimes you just can't find that promise book quick enough. That's why you gotta know it up here. You gotta know what God's word says, what the promises are, and pray. Jonah didn't actually have an Old Testament with him in the, in the fish, <laughs> He knew it. God wants you to know his promises. And you have to trust that God will fulfill those promises. Verse 7 says, when my life was ebbing away, what did he say? I remembered you, O Lord. And in my prayer, my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. And the word "remembered" means I acted on the basis of his commitment to me. Jonah knew God's promises and he claimed them. God's promised to restore us if we choose. To redeem us if we want and to save us if we desire. And he promises to take care and provide for us if we let him. All these are responsibilities that God's given us. He's already given us the promises. He's given us his word. He told us what he's going to do. Now the rest is up to us. Are we going to live it? Are we going to believe it? Are we going to trust him for it? Now look at the progression In Jonah's prayer, first he prayed for God's help. In other words, he wasn't happy about his situation. I think we've all been there. Then he accepted God's discipline. Okay, he realized that God loved him. He's only tried to reconcile him. And then finally, he trusted God's promise. In other words, he accepted God's hand of redemption. And verse 8 says, Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Now, when his repentance mode, when you repent, God brings to your mind things in your life that shouldn't be there. And during this, Jonah realized that he had some idols in his life. Now, we think it's not a wooden statue or a gold statue Idols in your life are things that are more important than God. And with Jonah, it was nationalism. He cared more about the the country of Israel than he did for the souls of people. Now, how many have heard the term Christian nationalism? It's out there. Another sermon, another topic, but not today. Jonah wanted to protect his own reputation. Not only was he concerned about the nation... I'd rather have our nation succeed than people get saved. It was basically his thing. How often do we think, I'd rather have my church succeed than to have that person saved? James talks about when people walk into a church dressed in rags and stuff. How do we accept people when they walk in? I belong, obviously, to the Assembly of God Facebook page for pastors and stuff. And every once in a while you'll get a, a, someone asking a question. I got two guys coming to my church. They want to become members. They want to sit in my church. How do I, what do I do? I have a guy who's dressed as a girl coming into my church. What do I do? Someone walks into church in that position, what do we do? We love them and we show them the gospel. Let God do everything else. We catch them, God cleans them. Some churches would say, no, no, get out. We don't want you here. We, we, it's our four and no more. We want as many people to come here as possible so they can hear the gospel and give their lives to Christ and be saved and let God deal with everything else. Jonah also wanted to protect his own reputation because he was a pretty well-known prophet back then. In Jonah 4.2 it says, so he complained to the Lord about it didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? In other words, he's, he's still angry that they're saved. He so says, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, so to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I knew how easily you could cancel your plans for destroying these people. So we, he prophesied to the nation of Israel that God's going to wipe him out. So he's a prophet. He says God's going to do it. Well, now God saved him. He's not going to wipe him out. What's that make Jonah? A liar, false prophet. He was famous for fulfilled prophecies and now his reputation's gone. In 2 Kings 14, it says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo, Hamath, and the Dead Sea just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through who? Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So he had a pretty good rep in town. People liked him. Everything he said was coming true. And now he said, he said God's going to destroy your enemy. And all of a sudden God says, eh, I'm not going to destroy him. No one's going to believe him anymore. What's the Bible say about a prophet? He misses one prophecy. He's not a prophet. And so he's worried about what people will think. Are we worried about what others will think? And what we're doing is right or godly. If we're doing the right thing, we're worried about what other people will say. The last sentence here says this in verse nine. It says, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Now, it doesn't say what he promised or what vows he made. But one of them is as a prophet. I'm guessing he said, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. Basically, said, I'll, I'll go to Nineveh if you give me another chance. God always gives you a second chance to do it. And a third chance if you don't get it right that time. The Bible says God looks on the heart. What's your heart attitude about something that God asks you to do? How many want to do something for God and you think you're doing it right and you, and you blow it? I think of it this way. When, when your kids are little... And they want to do something to please you. They really want to please you. But in the process of pleasing you, they break something or they mess something up. What was their heart attitude in doing that? They weren't out to break something. They were out to do something for you, but it, it backfired, it blew up in their face. God sees our heart. If we really are searching God and we really want to do what God tells us to do and we start doing it and we realize that we're messing up guess what? God sees your heart. God brings you back to where he wants you to be. He doesn't, he's not out with a -a whack-a-mole helmet or a hammer waiting that every time you mess up, he's going to hit you with it. God's going to guide you back. When your kids break something, what do you do? Okay, let's, let's try this a different way. We're not going to use glass this time, okay? Let's use plastic. You guide them back. What a way to start your second chance. He was now a respected prophet, and now he becomes whale vomit. Now, how many have been with children when they throw up in their bed? Or they throw up in your bed because it's sitting in your bed? How's that smell? We've had it, every parent's had it. You'll have it. You know how he must have smelled getting puked up on that land. God has a way of humbling you if you don't want to humble yourself. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God will make you whale vomit if he knows it's going to humble you you imagine him walking around, seaweed, fish guts all over you? Yeah. Well, now Jonah's free to obey God's will and travel to Nineveh. Now, God wasn't done with him yet, but he's on the right path. Now, think of it this way. I'll close with this. God performed seven miracles in Jonah's life so far. He sent the storm. He allowed the drawing of lots to point to Jonah. He calmed the sea. He arranged for the fish. He kept them alive for three days in the fish. He caused the fish to swim to land. He could have spit them out in the middle of the ocean, drawn him draw to land, and puked them out. All this, seven miracles to redeem Jonah and offer salvation for those who don't deserve it. What do you think God can and will do to save others? And draw them or draw those back who have walked away. If he did seven miracles just to get Jonah's attention, God's going to do miracles to get other people's attention, to draw them in. Do you think there is anything that God can't or won't do to save people? I'm going to say no. And the verse we've been hanging on for a while, this technically is the last verse, sorry. 2 Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God did all this to save a a country that was vile and wicked. How much more will God do to save that person you're praying for? I believe God can do it. We've been studying Wednesday night in the Holy Spirit. And all the miracles and signs and wonders that God still performs today in order to verify his word so that people see that what is being said matches up with what God is doing. So you know what? Keep praying. Keep praying. Get their attention. Whatever God has to do to get their attention God needed to get Jonah's attention. He knew that Jonah was the guy to do it. You may not think you're the person to do it, but God's going to keep after you until you realize that God's choosing you to do something miraculous, whether you think it's miraculous or not. Would you stand as we close? How many had people praying for you before you got saved? And it worked, right? Did it take bad things happening in your life? Maybe. Did it have good things happening in your life? Yeah. God will do what he needs to do because God is not willing that anybody perishes. So your loved ones, your friends, people you're praying for, the Bible says God's not wanting them to perish. The Bible says, ask anything according to my will and it will be done. And the Bible says that nothing's too hard for God. He can save anybody. He saved these wicked people in Nineveh. So he can save your cousin, your brother, your sister, whoever you're praying for. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Maybe you're here this morning and you're that person. Maybe you've been attending church most of your life. Or maybe you're relatively new to church. You're here because God ordained you to be here. We said earlier that God rules and God overrules. You think you made a choice to come to church today, and you did. But that was prompted by God making you make that choice. He woke you up. He put that thought in your mind. He allowed you to get dressed, and he allowed you to drive here. All because God wanted you to hear something or experience something that he had for you. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short of what God has for us. The Bible also says the wages of those sins is death. In other words, you as a sinner, you deserve punishment. And The Bible also says that the gift of God is, is eternal life through Jesus. In other words, Jesus paid the debt that you and I should pay. The punishment that we should get for our sins, Jesus took for us. He paid the price. The Bible says, "As many as receive Him, not just as many as hear about Him or think about Him or know Him." The Bible says, "As many as receive Him, to those He gave the authority to be children of God." So you have to receive that salvation, not just know about it. You have to receive it to yourself. And that means believe it in your heart that you are a sinner and that God paid the price for you. Not just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge It gives you a new life, a new way of thinking, a new attitude. You are a new creature, new creation. And if you're here and you've never done that and you want to do that today, that's the Spirit of God drawing you. The Bible says if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about Him. And He's making you come to a choice. We have to make a decision. And if you're at that point, you want to say yes. So if that's you and you want... Christ to come into your life, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm going to believe that we're all committed followers of Christ. And I know that each one of us has a general will that we're committed to following and we also have a specific will that each one of us has from God. And I pray that you would make that real Father in each one of our lives. As we wake up every morning, let the Holy Spirit continue to put in our mind what you're calling us, each one of us individually to do. It may be something awesome, like going to a different country to preach the gospel. Or maybe something that's equally awesome, but not as noteworthy as talking to the checkout girl at the cashier line. Or maybe you're calling us to do something specific in our family, in the church where you work, Will you shop? All these are wills that you have for us. And each one of us has a specific will that you're going to put into our life. And I pray that each one of us would receive that. And not only receive it, but then act upon it. Your Word tells us, don't just be hearers of the Word. And so by deceiving yourself, we can know God's will, and we can deceive ourselves into thinking that I don't want to do it. But the Bible says we're supposed to be doers of God's word. What do you want me to do today, Lord? What is it you want me to do tomorrow and the next day? I pray that you would fill each one of us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be convinced in our spirit of what you're asking us to do. As we sing, I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know what you want me to do. And the Bible says, Father, you will speak through a still small voice and we will hear it in our mind. And your Holy Spirit will convince us of its truth. So Father, bless us as we leave today. Encourage us. And as we say every day, we expect God to show up. And when you show up, You do miraculous things. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We do it in Jesus' name. And everyone shouted, amen. Amen. Okay, that was kind of weak. Say it again. Amen. Okay. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night.